Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Thursday night, um, Thursday evening, and uh, I'm going to do the Parsha. I think, uh, fortunately, um, this is being, uh, Mishpacha Savansky has undertaken very kindly to see us out the year or almost out the year. Um, in sponsoring the uh, Parsha this week, and uh, hope that they'll have a year of uh, Baruch Vatzlocha. And, well, let's get to work. Nitzam is a very short Parsha. This week's going to be a short laning. Uh, but it's very pithy. And I'll call attention to one item that really uh, I think is interesting, and that is, the whole thing's been interesting. If I said I'm going to do one item that's interesting. <clears throat> uh, as you know, Moshe Rabbeinu was saying Atim Mitzavim and so forth, and he's worried. And the, re- the reason he's worried is the same way somebody's worried if their kids went to public school or college or something like that. What have they seen? Okay? What have they seen? What kind of erosion does it leave on them? Did you, I don't know if you noticed that. Okay? But that's what it means when it says Atem Yadatem, Esa Sheh Yeshav Nuyeres Nitzrayim, Vesa Sheh Avarnu, Bekerva Goyim Asher Yisrael That the good Lord... So organized our history, Avram Yitzhak Yaakov, the Golis Mitzrayim, and all the rest of it, that we were always among pagans. I'll say it again. The Avos and the Imahos lived among of the Avodazar. Everybody knows that. And so they weren't surrounded by clouds and bubbles the way the Jewish people may have been surrounded in the desert, maybe. Not Avram, not Yitzhak, not Yaakov. They were out there with everybody. And it's a different type of upbringing in which you have to train your kids. How should I put it? That even though you're surrounded by people not like you, it doesn't affect you. Correct? I can just imagine somebody's a Chabad Shliach out in who knows where in India, Kukamanga. You're the only one like that, right? So you have to train the kids, you know, that the, the, what you see in the, on the street is a, is a, has no influence. I mean, it's, it's an interesting thing. Now, that can be done on a one-by-one basis, maybe, if somebody, if parents are really into it, but a whole nation, it's not really practical to think it won't have an effect on them. So if the good Lord so organized matters that Avram Yitzhak would live among Goyim, and then to double that, they would end up being in Egypt, which was really Memtesharitumo. And I'm not finished. And then when they should leave, as it says over here, the good Lord should so organize matters, Atem Yadatim Yitzhak uh, and uh, again, Rashi says you saw the nations of the Avodah and therefore you know you're going to worship, you're going to imitate them. Therefore, Moshe says I want to make a, a final oath that you know because Matirah she could say Rashi, you know you'll uh, you'll be tempted, and consequently, I want to make a shvur today that you won't do that. Okay. And I'm warning you that if you do do that, um, it'll lead to uh, Chorban. That's the heart of Parshans and Tzavim. No, it's not. That's the half. The, otherwise, like somebody mentioned to me this morning, Ali Feldman mentioned in the show, he says, we just finished 
the Tocha, but this is a bummer too, you know? And a lot of times the Tzavim comes after Rosh Hashanah. So, you know, and it could be somebody else in the middle of the Seres Meitzua. So, this is not a picker-upper, but the second half of the Parsha, of course, is. Which is, oh, a day will come, we call Yisrael do Tshuva, blah, blah, blah. Okay, now, here's the point I wanted to call your attention. Very interesting Ralbag. Uh, a very interesting Ralbag, who usually is associated with being a left-winger. Um, the Pasuk says, and this is a hard one to explain, how you translate that? Oh, I mean, I can translate it like you can translate it. the secret things, Haniglos and the hidden things, What does that mean? You mean like, 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 what does that mean? I understand the other parts. If you screw up, there'll be a Chorban, there'll be a The guy will say, Oh, look at it, he wiped out Jews off the land and ripped them out of the country. And God for some milk, straight for color. So that I understand. What's Hanistros Hashem al Kino? You know, like that. Now, all the different Mepharshim say it different ways. And obviously, there are many ways of interpreting it. But the one that's con- I consider the most interesting this year is the Ralbag, who is perhaps the most philosophical of all the medieval commentators, uh, the Ralbab uh, wrote his Milchamas Hashem, you know, which the Fermis didn't like and called it Milchamas Neged Hashem. <laughs> uh, and Chazak Kresses kind of wrote his book to sort of upschlag him. And the Ralbab Gersonides has always gotten a raw deal and saying he's not really from or something, something along those lines. And, uh, you know, I, I get it, I do understand and I'm not enough of a philosophy major to understand his book well because it's really technical. It's um, in 14th century Aristotelianism in, a, in an extreme degree. Uh, and I don't even know if that's what he held or not because a lot of these medieval philosophers write books for other philosophers. It doesn't mean that that's what themselves. I'll tell you why I'm saying that. But usually the image we have of the Ralbag is um, somebody who's like, ultra-rationalistic. Uh, he's in Provence. He was, a, by the way, a nephew, a grandson of the Ramban, interesting, but very different type. And I think I did him once. Maybe I did a podcast on him. A very unusual type. And his commentary in the Chumash is often very uh, left-wing. I still remember when I was a, much younger, obviously, uh, they once had something in the Yeshiva near Yisrael, and Rabbi Gifter was visiting because his son-in-law taught in Yeshiva, Rabbi Eisenberg. And he went on a whole speech and a rant against the Ralbach's interpretation he sees from Israel. I don't remember what it was altogether, but boy, did he go. Woo! You know, if you know Rabbi Gifter, when he was off, he was off. Uh, and uh, it was like, whoa. And uh, that's usually the, the image. However, listen to this. In our portion, and the Barbara, I'm, I'm sorry, the Ralbach has a pierce in the Hochumish. It is not in the article of Mikras Gedola, surprise, surprise. Although, his peers on the Tanakh, the Nevi'im Ksuvim is, which is interesting because he needed to fill it with something, you know. He's a Rishon. Uh, but it's, 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 it's kind of uh, uh, remarkable and very original. Now, Hanisteros Hashem Elkeinu, Niglos Lonavon Nirodolam. I'm going to tell you the way he does it and I'm going to tell you my own spin. This, this is what I think. Because that's all I can tell you is what I think. Uh, I can't be wrong. Uh, that's what I think. At the moment. 
And that is that he would understand Nisteros as the hidden meaning of mitzvahs. Every time you have a mitzvah, the six and thirteen mitzvahs as we call them, colloquially, so how do we understand that? Simply to say, don't think about it, shut up, just wake up in the morning and put on tefillin and stuff like that, don't ask no questions, is offensive to the thinking mind. The person wants to know, why am I doing it? Okay? Why am I doing it? And indeed, by tefillin, you end up saying, Hindi Mukham Zakaim, you know, Arba Parsha, Shehisham, Yehud Vachdusa, and all that business. So a person wants to know the reason for a mitzvah. At the same time, we've talked about this in other podcasts. The paradox is that once you know a reason for a mitzvah, you kill the mitzvah. Meaning, if a person says, I know the, re- the reason, the reason for a mitzvah, then by definition, a mitzvah is nothing but a means to an end. And I can skip the mitzvah and go to the end. The classic case, which the, which the Rabbi also quotes, is Shlomo Melech. As we all know, the Torah said, don't get too many wives and money and silver and all those other businesses and horses. And he said, I can do it because the whole purpose is not to become arrogant. I'll make sure that I don't become arrogant. Levilti rule mevavo small. So I'll make sure it doesn't happen to me. Of course, he messed up, and it did happen, but I'm just saying, that's the way the Chazal portrayed in the matter who Shlomo was. So, that means that he looked in the mitzvahs and he understood, or at least he said, he thought, he acted, he understood the purpose for the mitzvah, and, and, and that's what messed it up. At this, the paradox is that what the other extreme is a turnoff. Try to raise children saying, wake up in the morning, do this mitzvah, avoid this, on Saturday do that, and the other thing, and they say, why? He said, why? It's just because. You understand? Don't ask no questions. Just because. That's a recipe for disaster. You understand? Now, so how do you solve it? So first of all, I don't know. <laughs> but in Jewish history, the classic way of resolving it is like the Sefer Echinuch, in which you say like this, I'm going to give a reason for a mitzvah. A reason. I'm saying I'm not saying it's the reason. It's a reason. And it's my guess what the reason is. Um, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But there's more than what I'm saying. Right? So the Sefer Chinech, if you ever read it all the time, he says, I guess, I'm just giving a shot. This is not the whole thing at all. It's one angle. But if it's misyashe, well, it does. You know, it'll make you feel good. And, there's, and I don't mean it cynically. Make you feel good when you're performing the mitzvah. Okay, so just off the top of my head, why is there a mitzvah to give tzedakah? Help poor people. You understand? I mean, anybody with a heart can understand the poor, you didn't need help. You know, uh, obviously Israel, so forth and so on. You know, and therefore, when a person realizes that he's helping others and all the rest of it, you know, he or she is happy to to do the mitzvah and, and give money or something like that. Now listen closely, but we do not believe in the Jewish religion that the ultimate purpose of giving tzedakah to the poor is to make them feel good, you know, to help them out. Even though that is the logical reason, and it is a very good logical reason, and it indicates social progressiveness and social justice and all those nice things, but if it's one of the 613 mitzvahs, and it is, then something deeper than that, and and infinite, you see? So I can give a reason, but I don't say that to, that that compromise that comprises the totality of it, right? In other words, it doesn't even comprise a small part of it. It's a, a tiny part of it, but it's much much larger larger than that. 
Uh, and so you have this kind of funny tag team sort of thing, which is I'm doing the mitzvah. I will spend my life trying to figure out the best possible reasons for it. And if I don't have a, a backwards mind and a kind of intellectually retarded personality, retarded in the sense of held back, then as time goes on, I'll view the mitzvah from different angles and I might see different reasons for it. You understand? So when I'm 20, I'll look at, at tzedakah this way. When I'm 30 and 40, I'll look at tzedakah that way. When I'm 50, a noob shot will occur to me and I'll, I'll see it in another light. When I'm 60 and 70, in a different way. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's called growing up and maturing and progressing. But even so, it doesn't mean that you'll understand the totality of the whole business. Okay? Now, what's a person supposed to do if you're Jewish? So the answer, now this is what Bog is basically saying, I'm paraphrasing. He's basically saying this. By all means, a person should use his or her mind the best they can to comprehend why, what are the mitzvahs and why are you doing them? No, it's not only the mechanics, but, but why? And ultimately, like I said yesterday with the Dabashamori, it's going to take you, if you're serious about this, not to superficial rationalism, but to a more ecstatic and meditative mysticism. Okay? Um, then you'll get to a deeper level. At least that's the argument of the mystics. And I'm not speaking specifically of the Zell or anything like that. It's a bizundra discussion. But even the Rambam would agree with what I'm saying. Which is, you like the, his famous uh, mushal with the king in the palace. You know, you want to get in deeper and deeper into the palace to have a better understanding as well as you can. So you have to use your, your rational faculty. But not only rational faculty, you have to transcend that and take it beyond the rational faculty. Um, and that's the great goal in life. In other words, if you, from a formal point of view, that is what the Jewish religion views as the summum bonum. That's the way a person should spend his or her life. Trying to understand the Torah always better, deeper, um, not simply at the rational level, but if you can, to penetrate beyond that in all kinds of different ways. Shine. However, here's the point. Now, this is partly me and partly the Robert. Now, here's the problem. The person who undertakes that kind of journey, like we said, the parties yesterday or something like that, for the uh, mystical Superman, the intellectual Superman, that's a lonely journey that a person, Uli Efsher, can do by himself and herself. Indeed, the whole point of the, of the party story was it's dangerous even for people advanced. Now, a person should want to do it. That's why they did it. But it's dangerous. But it doesn't say over there that Rabbi Akiva took his kids with him or ben, Benazi, Benzoma, or whoever, you know, Alicia Benavu took their kids with him or their family. It was a, it was a lonely journey, a solipsistic journey, which only a person who's built himself or herself up to a certain madrega are even capable of engaging in, and and then even then it's Ulai Efsher, you know, because three to four people in the story, you know, got messed up as we know. So, but what they were trying to do, they call it going to the Heicholos, is exactly what I'm talking about to try to understand God, meaning through through, through the Torah, through the mitzvahs. Okay, so they were going well beyond what we would call today a simple rationalistic interpretation. Uh, fine. So they were looking for Nister. But as I said before, 
by definition, a genuine Nister journey like that is, a, is an isolated and lonely one. Matter of fact, the attempt of these four great people to do a joint journey, in the, in the case of the Pardis, may be precisely what messed them up. Because it's only something a person can do in him, his own or her own if they reach a certain level. That's a very profound thing I just said, so you may have to digest that. But the very fact that they undertook a joint journey, which is an extraordinary story, because, as I said the other day, they weren't they didn't actually go anywhere in the physical sense, and they weren't even necessarily in the same room. Maybe they were, maybe they weren't. But they coordinated that, you know, 12 o'clock tomorrow, we're all going to be mechaven to this and this and that and that. And, uh, and that created a... a a mystical reality, a, a, a mental reality, whatever you call it. Uh, now, here's the thing. Uh, you know, and they, Rabbi Kiva was Nichens from Yatsub so he barely made it. Here's the thing. Uh, you, uh, 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 That's the peak of religious experience. I think all religions would agree with what I just said, that to try to transcend the ecstatic, the mystic, that's the peak of religious experience. Uh, and it is by us also. It cannot be shared or bequeathed. You get it? It's not something they can leave to your kids or share with others or things like that. The Vilnagon's kids were the Vilnagon's kids. They weren't the Vilnagon. I mean, they're they're very big people, but not the Vilnagon. You can't be. Now, I mean, they could have been, but you know, in other words, just because this is your father or grandfather or you come from a Rebbe or something like that, don't, don't, that doesn't get mean that you too will be able to reach such a level. Ulay, I'm sure maybe yes, maybe no, plenty of times not. To to take a simple example, Moshe Rabbeinu's kids weren't Moshe Rabbeinu, not, not by a long shot. I Moshe Rabbeinu was unbelievable. Yes, that's true. And I'm sure his kids were well brought up in the basic sense. That's true. They, you know, that doesn't mean that you can get the pal pal Daberbo. <laughs> I say you can't climb the mountain. Moshe, through his unique experiences, built himself up to whatever he was. It's not something that can be shared. So now, here we have something called a religion. The Torah is a religion. The Hainu, it's a bunch of rules. It's mitzvahs. Uh, the Torah is not a mystical doctrine. Well, yes, it is. Okay, fine. Say it's a mystical doctrine. I'm serious. Let's say it's a mystical doctrine. You can't bequeath that to kids. You have to, the only thing you can bequeath to children is the, the the mitzvahs and the plain stuff. Maybe the kids and their kids after them and their kids after them and their kids, maybe they or some of them will be able, depending on their, you know, story, how they grow up and all the rest of it, to go beyond the basics and reach into the Higher spheres. Ulai, yes. Ulai, no. I mean, the Rambam was like that, for example, in his way. And Avram and Aram was like that in his way. But if I remember correctly, the son and the grandson and the great-grandson of Avram and Aram were not like that at all. I remember uh, he had a great-grandson, David. And who was it? Ibn Qasmi or something. He said, I met him and he ain't no... <laughs> he's not in that league. Because he was just a from guy. Now, he was a God's finer person. He was the Rav Roshi of Egypt and all the rest of it. Great. He won the Rambam. So, that's how the Ralbog is going to read the Pusik, although it's partially my twist. And he says, Hanistaros Hashem Elkenu. 
the mystical stuff, the reasons for mitzvahs, and not at the simple level, the deeper level, and when you get to the deeper level, you understand, when you get to the deeper level, then you understand that you can't understand the totality of mitzvahs. That's Hashem Elkeinu. Haniglos is Lono Vonenu. That's why it's Lono Vonenu, I would say. But the Nigla, that goes for Lono Vonenu, for us as parents, in other words, as transmitters of the Mesorah. That you have to do the Nigla. So in other words, you raise your children next generation on the Nigla. There's Tariq Mitzvahs, there's practical stuff, you blow the chauffeur, you know, you face the Yom Kippur, all the rest of it. What the reason for the chauffeur is, and the super-duper stuff, like they tell about the okay, oh, you have to know all, what all the spheros are and all the rest of it, and, you know, open the shlaw and look at the kavonis if you want to do that, or the chem das yam, you know, fine. But, you know, that's, you can't tell every Baltokeo to do that. And you certainly can't do Lono Lovaneno. The part of Lono Lovaneno is on Rosh Hashanah, two days, after finish Kriya Torah, you blow the kiyas. <laughs> you see? And there are hundreds of kiyas, let's say, and once it's kiyas, shvan trua, and so forth. That's the Nicholas Lono Lovaneno. The way to transmit the tradition. I mean, God set this up. This is in the Chumash. It's not me talking. Right? So Moshe Rabbeinu is saying over here, maybe Hashem is, it's not clear. Uh, the stuff I did, I cannot bequeath to you. The Tariq Mitzvahs I can bequeath to you and set you to bequeath that to your children. And uh, the language here is a little complex in, in the uh, in the Ralbah because he's like very wordy. And so, uh, uh, I can't read the whole thing, you know, but what's really interesting is that this point, which after all is like dissing the rationalism, it's saying, yes, a rational interpretation is good, but it's only superficial. He himself concludes this passage, this is the Raubach talking, that this way that we just said, which is to pass the nigla on, and the next generation should pass the nigla on, and the next generation should pass the nigla on, that is Migadoli Hasharashim Atorim, one of the most important Torah Dikas Sharashim. Lishmor Chachmas Atorah Shaloyavo Shalom Biyifritzua. So that wolves, meaning, um, what's the right word? Uh, incapable people. Uh, losers, let's put it that way. That losers shouldn't come and mess it over. Because if you try to bequeath, or you start doing the, the Nistaros, and you do Hanistaros Lashema, I'm sorry, Hanistaros that's not going to last. And indeed, any time in Jewish history they try to go that way and make the whole thing Hanistaros you messed up, for example, Shabtai 3. I mean, that was the whole thing Shabtai 3. Excuse me. The whole point is Hanistaris Lonovaneno Adolam. That's not true. Haniglos Lonovaneno Adolam. Hanistaris Hashem Elkeno. In other words, the Nister part is between me and God. Literally, me, myself, and I talking now, and God to the degree I can do it or not do it. You know, how I think it through, if I take the trouble to think it through, and so on and so forth. And and I'm not saying it's hidden in the sense I can't tell anybody conclusions to come up with, but not, it's not a, it's, it's not, 
a tradition that can be successfully bequeathed uh, if you're talking about long term. Now, why is Moshe Rabbeinu looking at the long term? <clears throat> so in this week's parsha, he tells us why he's looking long term. Because the destiny of the Jewish people is a long term game. Because what comes right after that? Meaning, Moshe is laying out the future of the Jewish people. And in the future of Jewish people, it says that everybody's going to become not from, let's put it that way. You know what I mean? Uh, what's the language? It's called You know, you'll go all the way and you'll hit rock bottom, but then you'll turn around. That you'll start be in your notice, you'll start a chuva movement in the midst of all the gun that you've been cast into, right? And then you'll go on a real from kick. You know, that's all that glorious language that you read there. And he says, And in the light of what I just said, it's very, very interesting because. The ordinary way you translate it is, Even if you're at the far ends of the heavens, like you know, in Australia or Tasmania or someplace like that. I don't want to offend people listening here in Australia, but you know, that's like far off from, uh, like I'm in America, which is more or less across the street from Europe, which is right next to Israel. That's what they mean by the center. Although I'm sure to Moshe Bay in America is far away. But, you know, there are, but we mamish have communities in New Zealand, you know. You have Jewish communities in Chile, you know, all, all over the place. And uh, even if you're in those places, and you say we're too far away to be returned back to Israel, wrong. That's the Pashup shot. But a deeper shot, in light of what I just said, What is Shamayim? I mean, it's a funny expression. Shamayim. So the way you the literal translation, I mean it's not it can't have a literal translation, but the the tech the usual translation is even if you're at the far end of the map. In other words, if I'm standing in Israel and I look in this direction, America's big Shamayim. It's all the way out there, right? However, you know and I know Shamayim doesn't mean the sky. Brachimas and Shamayim doesn't mean the sky. So what is Shamayim? Metaphysical. The arts is the physical, and the Shema is the metaphysical. Correct? So, wait a second. That's what it means. And whenever you use the word Shema, you have to understand that. I I know that we translate it in a simplistic way, but just understand, it is a simplistic way. If you're cast off in the far end of the metaphysical, in other words, if your Hashkafas are totally screwed up, so the Jews, as he said, well, we'll hit rock bottom before they do a, a BT movement. Rock bottom in the in the political, physical sense, and rock bottom also in the spiritual sense. So what's shot rock bottom in the spiritual sense? They don't believe anything anymore. Okay? Either it'll be science. I mean, I don't know what it is. They won't believe anything anymore. And somebody who says, I know that there's no God or something like that, as, as someone today would say, He's what you call B'Ketzea Shamayim. It's the extreme end of the metaphysical. You get it? No, it's in the in the, uh, the Ruchnia sense, very far away. In fact, you'd say like this, a person like that is not even uh, a gettable. 
uh, he's off the wall. He doesn't believe anything. Um, concentrate on those who believe. Uh, somebody's a cure of expert might say like this, listen, I can't convert the whole world. Let me go to the kids who are in conservative shows or something like that. At least they have some shaykhs. And, you know, don't, uh, uh, an appeal traditionalism will have a, a great impact on them than kids who are completely, you know, atheists or something like that. I don't know, whatever. And the, and, and the, the, the Pusik today is telling you, no, if there are as far away as you can get in the Shemayim, in the metaphysical and Ruchniya sense, because it means that it is already sounding a little frumby dummy, that, you know, that at least at that time, there will be a button to push. Now, you know, do you have a religious button in you? It's very interesting to me, speaking historically, that if you look at the last two centuries, when modern secularism arose, you'll find a, a number of intellectual, Jewish intellectuals who, because of their secular intellectualism, completely lost their uh, belief in anything Jewish, had the greatest possible contempt for it, because it's not uh, empirically verifiable, and so on and so forth. So notice they basically know that nothing in Judaism is true, and instead they followed a very rational, uh, common sense uh, what's the what, what the guy? I just had this conversation, uh, testable hypotheses, and and all that, and therefore they uh, viewed everything Jewish with a, with an intellectual contempt. There is many of them, if you know the history in the nineteen hundred, in the eighteen hundreds and nineteen hundreds, because now we're past we're in the twenty hundreds. There was a f- very interesting number of people who later in life converted to Roman Catholic. Which takes such a leap of faith that's mom's ridiculous, you understand? So here's the person, always, I mean, Bernard Berenson, uh, who the heck was it? Uh, uh, Mortimer Adler, uh, this guy, Rowan and Martin, whichever one, one of the two of them was Jewish. He converted Catholic. Milton Berle, believe it or not. Uh, it's, it's, more, it's more than you think, okay? And my point's like this. Here you make your whole life that you don't believe in anything Jewish because it makes no sense and requires a leap of faith and all that. And then you switch Roman Catholic. Which is all about just take everything totally on faith. When you eat the bread, the wafer, and you drink the blood, you drink the body and blood of Christ. Really? Right? Notice that you have no problem with. But uh, shops and costumes you think is crazy? You see what I'm saying? The answer is that it wasn't simply that they had, uh, 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 they were beyond belief, and they were uh, They were suppressing something deep within them that wanted to believe. Or, I, I mean, I'm not a shrink, so I can't tell. But it is remarkable that somebody who was so eloquent and so uh, powerful, a non-believer, uh, later on, uh, you know, they switch. Who am I thinking of? The the famous artist. It was Berenson, and then the other guy. Um, whatever the name escapes me, but um, you know, it, it, it's it, it's just an interesting phenomenon you see it over and over again. Uh, so it's that's called There are people that are beyond reach, but in the end, we're told that time will come that you know that God will reach them. Uh, now that'll involve circumcising the foreskin of the heart. 
uh, you know, in other words, it'll require a mental transformation. Who knows what it is that, you know, how this will come. Does it become some political thing? Will become, you know, called persecution? I mean, you know, who, who knows? Uh, but there's a glorious future predicted over here. And the Rambam, by the way, discusses this in Hilchus Chuba, where he said the prophets predicted that one day this will all happen. Uh, so you see that, uh, especially this approach to the, of the Ralbag, is uh, uh, any thinking person understands what he means because, as I said before, there's a Velta Mitzvah, and how do you raise your kids? And, you know, and especially if you're a thoughtful person and you want to get, you know, do your own little journey into a part, I mean, not that kind of parties, but, you know, something like that, uh, how do you do it? Uh, and Moshe Rabbeinu, a draw box, and Moshe Rabbeinu, and they said, watch out. Hanistra Hashem Anyway, I went a little bit too long, but that's, I think, a uh, very interesting food for thought. It's very difficult possibly to translate, and I think this Ralbog is kind of uh, interesting as the intellectual pursuit of that. As I said before, um, I want to thank the Mishpacha Stavansky uh, for very nicely stepping forward to uh, sponsor today's podcast, and uh, I may have one tomorrow, and then we'll be looking at uh, Rosh Hashanah. So for now, I wish you all a good job. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.